Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. We're doing a series called Capacity. Would somebody just say Capacity? Come on, say it like you had some coffee or some caffeine. Say Capacity. Come on, say it like you want the people that are in the overflow to hear you. Come on, say Capacity. Yeah, if you were here the first week, I told you that's the sermon right there. That's the sermon. You were louder the third time than the first time. Why? Not because it wasn't in your ability to say capacity louder the first time, but simply because I put a demand on your capacity. And the moment I said, say it as loud as you can, you adjusted your lungs and your diaphragm and you did what you need to do to make capacity ring at a that was louder. How many of you know there are some things in life that will not come out of you until a demand is placed on you and you need to start asking God, show me my... Oh, y'all got to wake up in here today. Show me my... Capacity. Capacity. Show me what's in me. Show me what's in me. And furthermore, God, since you are unlimited, let my faith put a demand on your unlimited capacity. So that's what we've been looking at. We're going to add another layer to this. And some of y'all looking too sleepy for me. So I'm going to ask you to stand uh, to honor the reading of God's word. And because it's hard to sleep while you're standing up. Amen. I want to look at 2 Kings today. 2 Kings chapter 5. And we'll start at verse number 1. And we'll land at verse number... Can you do this? Can you do 14 verses of scripture? Okay. All right. I'm going to see. Come on. Some of y'all said, I want to read more scripture. This is your opportunity. Second Kings chapter 5, and it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bounds of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. That'll make it official. So Naaman left and taken with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. I've got money. I've got clothes. I can buy healing. So here you go. Do something. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, Heard the same news, heard the same news that the king of Israel heard. He sent a text message to him and said, bro, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. That's some gangster stuff. That is some gangster stuff. When one person hears some news and they start freaking out and tear their robes, and then you hear the same news and you cool, calm, collected and poised and said, bring him to me. He'll know there's a prophet in Israel. That ain't the sermon, that made me shout. That made me shout. He said, so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away, uh uh-oh, angry and said, I thought, I, I thought, you know how much trouble I've gotten in in my life? Over. I thought. Come on, be Have you ever been messed up on? I thought. I thought you was gonna help. Now you hurting. I thought you was gonna ask me to marry you. You we about to, you breaking up with me? I thought. Have you ever been messed up by a preconceived notion or belief that you had? Woo! He said, I thought that you would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana 
And far part the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could not wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. And Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father? These are literally how I hear the voices in my head when I read the Bible. I don't know if I was imagining this servant just, My father? If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then? When he tells you to wash and be cleansed. It was like he didn't ask you to do a big thing. Like just, just go do that. He must have had power. Even though his voice was small. Because look at what Naaman did. He went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored. And became clean. Like that of a young boy. Ooh, stay standing. I got to give you my title. Then you can sit down. But go back to that other verse. Go back a few verses to he went, there it is. Couldn't I wash in the mother rivers? So he turned and went off in a rage. That verse right there is the impetus for my message today. He turned and went off in a rage. I want to preach today for about six hours <laughs> from this title. Please don't miss it. This is a word for somebody today. I want to preach from this thought, the cost of going off. The cost of going off. If you have never gone off or been tempted to go off, if you have never had somebody say something to you and had your nose flare up and your right eye start to twitch a little bit, if you have never sent a text message in all caps to somebody, you don't need this message. You can leave right now. But if you've ever dealt with the emotions of going, how could you and gone off this is for you, the cost of going up. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, one more time. And just say, neighbor, you my first option. I don't know that other person. Say, neighbor, there's a cost to going off. Come on, give God some praise and you can be saved. The cost of going off. Holy Spirit, speak today. How many of you, just one more time, would say that you were here last Sunday? Can I see your hand? You're here last Sunday? Come on, thanks for coming back. Last Sunday, we did something that I told you will be a tradition here in our church and our community. And that is we took a moment in our service to pray for all of the teachers and all of the students that would be going back to school. It was an incredible moment. It was a powerful moment. I brought my mom on stage. She was an educator. I had her pray. Powerful prayer. It was good. It was befitting. It was appropriate. However, it was incomplete. It was incomplete. Y'all, bear with me. I'm a rookie pastor, okay? I, I shouldn't have just prayed, upon further reflection, on the teachers and the students. After the teachers and the students left, I should have called all the parents <laughs> back up to the front and prayed over all the parents and not just like some little cute prayer I'm talking about the whole service should have been prayer for the parents I'm talking about speaking in tongues as the spirit gives me utterance I'm talking about I should have got a Sam's Club bottle of Crisco oil and just started pouring it on the heads of all of the parents praying for strength for endurance for patience for any parents in here can testify there is nothing as daunting, nothing as challenging as being responsible for a little human that is the amalgamation of you and somebody else. I'm telling you, parenting is no joke. I have often said, if you want to increase your prayer life, just have a kid. You want to be an intercessor? Just start having some children because parenting is no joke. In fact, in complete honesty, there is nothing that I think I fear more than failing as a parent. 
Oh, this keeps me up at night, people. I want to be a good parent. I want my children to thrive. I want to create an atmosphere where they reach their capacity. Yeah, I, I don't want my crazy to cap their capacity. That's what I pray. Because honestly, come on, how many believe the children are the future? Come on, teach them well. Let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. You know, we should let the children's laughter remind us <laughs> how we used to be. Honestly, okay, stop, stop, stop. Parenting is serious. Parenting is a daunting, daunting task. And I don't want to fail at it. I don't want to fail. It's so funny, I uh, don't want to question the wisdom of our God. But I often have told God, why did you make it so easy for anybody to have a kid? That responsibility is so huge. I just think he should have set it up differently. Like, I think there should, like, be a, a test that you, like, apply for. You know, like, call it PAT, Parent Aptitude Test. And you just stand in line and at least a thousand questions. This is a human you're responsible for. And fill out the questionnaire. And then after, you ought to wait to see what your results are and let them come out and tell you, yep, you were approved for a child. Or come out and tell you, no, you can't even have a dog. What is wrong with you? It's a challenge, it's a challenge, and if you are a parent, you ought to pray. And not just pray, I think you ought to also get resources that'll help you grow. So I'm gonna give you one for free. There's a book I recently came across, and it's titled, Parenting from the Inside Out. Parenting from the Inside Out. And if you wanna read the book, here is the book in its Cliff Notes version. The idea of the book is this, is that parenthood can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. Parenthood can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. So the author says that if you can heal the child that's in every parent, then you can produce an atmosphere that will create a healthy child. This is what I read before I drop my son, who has my name, to the first day of kindergarten. <laughs> and I walk into class, and I'm looking at the teacher's classroom, and in the corner, she has what she called the calm down corner with a whiteboard, and the kids can go to the calm down corner when they're about to go off, and they can process their emotions on the whiteboard in the calm down corner. And because I knew this was what I was preaching, as soon as I saw it, it made me ask this question. Robert, where is your calm down corner? Forgive me, what about you? Where is your calm down corner? Here's really the question I wanna ask of you today. What do you do when you get mad? <laughs> what do you do when you get mad. Now here's the reality. Nobody can escape this message today. Like I ain't gotta be the prophet to know this message today is for everybody because anger is a universal emotion. Every single person breathing. I don't care how spiritual you are. You could have floated in the gillies today. I don't care if you had communion for breakfast. Every single human in the earth deals with anger. This is a universal emotion. Come on, you came in the world angry. And a single baby, and a single baby came out. Hi, hi, I just really wish you would give me some milk. I'm not gonna yell, but I'm just quite hungry. Right? No, you came out the womb and ah, going off. This is a universal emotion. Everybody deals with anger. And I wanna ask you today, what do you do when you get mad? Because when it comes to anger, we're not talking about if you get angry. We are talking about when. You get angry because anger is inevitable. I want to know, what do you do when you get mad? You yell, kick, scream, shout, punch a hole in the wall? Do you leave your stormtrooper? <laughs> Stormtroopers got messed up in the shelter-in-place orders because you couldn't leave nowhere when you got mad. What, what do you do? What, what, what do you do? do? Do you use profanity? You cuss? Don't answer out loud. You know, people make a big deal about that, which you should have wholesome talk. 
How many know there's a difference between cussing and cursing? Oh, I think cursing somebody does way more detriment than a cuss word. When you look at somebody and say, you've always been like this and you'll always be like that and you'll never change. What do you do? What do you do when you get angry? Do you scream at the top of your lungs? Do you throw stuff? I'm talking about all the eruptors right now. See, there's some eruptors in here, and that's how you respond when you get angry. You just, you just erupt. You erupt. Ooh, y'all eruptors are crazy. You're crazy because you do stuff, and you blow up, and then afterwards, you're like, did I really just do that? Did I just, did I just throw that desk in the office? And don't you feel so stupid after you did it? And you should because anger assaults your wisdom. You don't think when you're angry. That's why Proverbs has all kinds of verses talking about anger. In fact, put that, put that one up. I love how Proverbs describes anger. It says, people with understanding control their anger, and a hot temper shows great foolishness. Cold language, you are dumb when you go off. Some of you are eruptors, and I know you're eruptors. I laugh when y'all go off because I'm not an eruptor. Now, I'm married to an eruptor. <laughs> I am, I am. Don't let that southern smile fool you, okay? <laughs> Taylor Madu, Pastor Taylor Madu is an eruptor, and eruptors make me laugh because they go off, and I look at them like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe you just lost it. <laughs> you know why we judge eruptors, people like me? Because I'm not an eruptor. I'm a stuffer. See, stuffers are different. Stuffers don't go, ah! Stuffers are calm. We don't yell. And when you ask us, are you mad? Oh, no. I'm not mad. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No. I'm fine. I'm good. It's okay. It happens. We're all human. It's okay. And while we're saying it, we're ruminating and rehearsing everything they did and internally we are pushing it down into the basement of our soul till it becomes a cantankerous cesspool of bitterness and we isolate ourselves and we pull away emotionally and we won't talk to you all while we're saying i'm fine well, stuffers are the worst Stuffers are the worst because your body can't even contain all the things that you stuffed in it. Oh, researchers and scientists will tell you that anger does more damage to your physical body than grief or anxiety or sorrow. Anger will destroy your nervous system. Anger will give you a heart attack. Anger will mess up your blood pressure. Anger will age you. You can forget about exfoliating. You want to mess up your skin? Just continue to stuff anger. Continue to tell people, I'm fine. <laughs> so you got eruptors and you got stuffers. But anger is a conundrum because all of us have to figure out what are we going to do with our anger? How are we going to process it. Because if I can't erupt and I can't stuff, but it is inevitable that I'm going to experience this emotion, what am I supposed to do with it? Manage it. Manage it. You've got to control it. Anger is like having a toddler in the car. You don't want to give them the car keys and let them drive the steering wheel. Come on, eruptors. But you also don't want to put the toddler in the trunk. <laughs> Stuffers. <laughs> but you do want to have that toddler in a car seat with a seatbelt and periodically look in the rearview mirror to make sure you know they're okay. How are you going to deal with anger? And the reason I had to preach this message today is because the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly and said, Robert, there are some people who have limited the capacity of what I could do in them and through them because they cannot control their anger. They cannot control their emotions. Have you met these people? 
that are so smart, I mean brilliant, all kinds of intellectual cognitive capacity. You're like, oh, IQ, Albert Einstein. But EQ, emotional quotient, the Incredible Hulk, Tasmanian Devil. And their EQ is destroying the capacity of their IQ because they don't know how to control their anger. We can find it in the Bible. Moses missed the promised land because of his anger. Cain killed his brother Abel because he could not control his anger, his rage. Now, I want to very practically give you, really, the Apostle Paul gives us in one verse, the biblical worldview on anger. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Y'all good? Look at what Paul says. He says, be angry. Somebody say, be angry. Hmm. That's permission right there. I can be angry. So anger is not bad. He says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So the biblical worldview is not to remove anger. Because look what the Apostle Paul says right there. Be angry. See, this is, this is hard for us to comprehend, even as it relates to our God. Because some people are like, I just want a God of love. I just want him to love. I don't want a God that gets angry. He can't get angry. How many know you cannot have love without anger? Love and anger are intricately connected. You remember when Jesus went off and got angry and he turned the tables over? Remember that? When he had a temple tantrum and he went into church and they were selling stuff and he just started throwing off the money changers tables? He wasn't doing that saying you can't have church merch. It's just in that time period, whenever you came to worship, you had to purchase a dove. That was the system then. You had to purchase an animal to worship. How many of you are thankful that you don't have to bring in a sacrifice of an animal today? How many of you are thankful that when you want to worship today, all you got to come in and bring is your hallelujah. It's your thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad that Jesus paid the price. He was the ultimate sacrifice. But in that time period, you had to purchase a sacrifice. And there were people who were making it difficult for Jesus. Gentiles for outsiders to worship and because your God is so loving because he loves humanity because he loves people the reason he got angry and started tearing up tables he said you're not gonna mess up what I came to redeem how dare you think you can stop people from coming into my house my house is a house of prayer and you don't get to pick who you think should come in because I died for the entire world so that's why he got angry Anger is always directed towards something that threatens what you love. You want to know what you love? Look at what makes you angry. So Bible doesn't say get rid of anger. In fact, there's some issues in the earth that ought to make us angry and make us do something about it. So on one hand, you don't want to be angry without a cause. And on the other hand, if there is a cause and you don't get angry, you need to check your heart. Because there's some things that should make you angry. So Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. So the challenge, especially if you're going to be who God has called you to be and grow in your capacity, is not only to control your anger, but do what James says, be slow. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Well, what makes you go off? Be slow to anger. When that person is driving slow in front of you, be slow to anger. When that person is chewing so loud that every crunch you hear is making you lose your... Be slow to anger. When that person disrespects you and you want to let them know I am not... Be slow to anger. When you go to the bathroom and you got a fresh outfit on and you leaned up in the mirror to make sure there wasn't nothing in your teeth and then you lean back over the mirror and you got a line from the edge... Of the bathroom sink, be slow to anger. When you're in the hotel and you try to plug in the plug behind the dresser, and you know you check the prongs and everything, and you keep missing it, you're about to throw the dresser out the be slow to anger. When you got a brand new computer and you trying to put in the USB, and there's only two ways to put the thing in, but it takes you six tries, and you're about to call the Apple company, be slow. 
When the Cowboys lose and you got your hopes of that they was going to actually win this year, B. There's a method to my madness. You know why I gave you so many examples? It's because anger is nuanced. What makes you go off doesn't make me go off. Have you ever had somebody send you a text and you're like, I can't believe Lisa. What she do, girl? Oh, I am mad. What she do, girl? You, you ain't gonna believe it. What did she do, girl? She gonna put a stapler on my desk today at the office. <laughs> she put a stapler on your desk? Yeah, girl, can you put the nerve of her to put a There's a story behind the stapler. She not mad about the stapler. There's something behind it. That's why whenever you see anger, you don't ever look at anger, you look under anger. Teach, Robert. Anger is a secondary emotion. So you gotta look not at it, under it. It's gonna make you have grace for people that go off on you sometimes. When they just go on, you're like, okay, I know that's not about me. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of grace. That had to be something that you're going through. You have to look under anger, not at it. Because sometimes under the anger is pain. Sometimes under the anger is fear. Sometimes under the anger is worry. So don't look at it, look under it. I'll take those six golf claps. Which brought me to my text today. Because y'all, this text confuses me. It does. I am confused by this man named Naaman who is suffering with leprosy. Please understand how serious leprosy was in that day. Leprosy was a skin disease that would start with a spot on your skin, progressively get worse to the point that you would have sores that covered your entire body. It is a disease that makes your skin and your body, the flesh, to eat itself. It was, a, it was a disease that you would all of a sudden, after getting the spot and it would spread, literally your limbs would start to fall off. It was a disease that was contagious to the point that once you got leprosy, it had societal and social ramifications because you would have to warn people, I'm unclean, I'm unclean you had to be in complete isolation. This is the disease that Naaman has. And he goes to the prophet Elisha and says, I need help. There was no cure. And Elisha tells him to simply go wash in the Jordan River seven times. And homeboy went off in rage. Since when do you get mad at the remedy for your disease. What? He should have done the Holy Ghost two-step and said, hallelujah, somebody hurry up and get me to the Jordan River. Why are you going off on the prophet when he gave you the remedy? Come on, contextualize it. When the last time you went to the doctor, I'm talking about for something minor. And they said, oh yeah, it's a little infection, it's cool, just go to the front and the nurse is gonna give you the prescription. Oh, I can't believe it. You asked three times a day, you want me to take this? What? Why is he walking off in rage? Don't look at it. Look under it. Look under it. And I think it's in the first verse of 2 Kings chapter 5. Remember the first thing we hear about Naaman? Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Oh, we gotta look under it. Naaman is no regular dude. Naaman has status. Naaman has an impressive bio. Naaman has a blue check on his Insta page. Don't you hate that in yourself? That even to this day, come on, you're mature enough to know that value is not determined by how many followers on Instagram. But still, when you see somebody with a blue check, oh, what do you do? Wait, they got a blue check. <laughs> Naaman has status. Naaman has the thing that I'm finding our culture is obsessed with today. Have you noticed? Everybody wants status. 
Everybody wants to be in the room that nobody can be in. That's what Naaman had. Naaman would walk in and people go, there we go, there we go, that's him, that's him. Ooh, he looked better in person. Oh, I'm telling you, that Naaman, Naaman is the dude that every man wanted to be like. He was a fighter. He was the dude that all the women wanted. Naaman was powerful. He had status. And I'm finding in our culture today, people have this relentless obsession with status. It's like everybody wants to either be the somebody, beat the somebody, or be connected to the somebody. Have you noticed? Everybody wants to either be the somebody, beat the somebody, comparison competition, or be connected to the somebody. And when you can't be the somebody, and you can't beat the somebody, or you can't be connected to the somebody, then you feel like a nobody. So you go get some other bodies to arrogantly talk about how arrogant the somebodies are. Have you noticed this about humanity? We love status. We love fame. One theologian named C.S. Lewis said, it's not like we take prize in a possession or a position itself, but rather we take pride in having more of it than somebody else. We want the status, the name, the name. Oh, naming. We want everybody naming, saying our name. That's what he had. Another theologian named Sean Carter <laughs> said fame is the worst drug known to men. It's stronger than heroin. When you can look in the mirror like there I am and still not see what you become. Naaman has status. And you might not say it verbally, but I think subconsciously, we think that if we ever reach some level of status, that our life would be fine. That the reason we have problems right now is because we haven't reached whatever that status is. But Naaman ran into my first point that you cannot miss today, and that is status doesn't stop suffering. Status doesn't stop suffering. That's a point you can say amen at. I appreciate it. But in reality, I don't think we believe it. We don't believe it. We're like, oh, surely that car, huh, I know it ain't got no problems. This is your house? Huh, I know your life is good. You, you, you are on what platform? Huh, I know that feels great because that's the lie that we tell ourselves. We think it's like being on an elevator and you keep pushing a button and you're trying to go to the next level and you think that if I could just get to the penthouse suite, if I could just get to the top, I wouldn't have these problems down here at the bottom. But Naaman had the status. Naaman was at the top of the floor and Naaman walks in one day in the penthouse suite. Can you see him? Powerful soldier, biceps, triceps, six pack. Walks in his beautiful house, has his armor on, takes off his armor before he's about to get in his steam shower. And he's looking in the mirror. You know how you do in the mirror when you're in the house by yourself. Who the man? Name man. Who the man? Name man. <laughs> and as he's looking in the mirror, flexing, thinking about all his victories on the battlefield that day, he turns to go to the shower and he looks on his back and he sees a spot and he's trying to wonder is that hadn't been there and his heart starts beating fast because he knows that spot is not normal and with all his armor and all his status he still has a spot how many know everybody has a spot Everybody has some area in your flesh that you are still wrestling with. That just because you bought a beautiful bed and a beautiful house, you can't buy peace. They don't sell peace at Gucci. And here's Naaman, once all of his armor came off, looking at a spot, 
wondering what it could be. He comes back the next day, it's getting worse. He comes back and looks at it the third day, that spot has started to spread. And I think with his head between his knees and tears coming down his face, he's getting the revelation that status doesn't stop suffering. We live in a broken world. Everybody has some battle they are fighting. And yes, he is crying, but deep down he's also angry because he's trying to figure out, how could I be so good on the battlefield but still have a disease in my body? How could I be so good in this area of life but still have an issue in my flesh? Can anybody be real? Have you ever looked at an inequity in your life and say, how can I be so disciplined in putting my report on the desk but I can't seem to stop eating carbs and get my eating habits together? How can I be so good with my money but I'm not good as a friend. Everybody has a spot, some inequity that will bring you down on your knees and let you know you are not all that, that you are still human, that there is only one who is God because status doesn't stop suffering. Naaman is on the ground Tears coming down his face and I can see his wife walking in and she says, honey, what's wrong? She's never seen him cry before. And she goes to touch him. She sees his back and she realizes what he's been hiding. That he's got leprosy. I can see her saying, sweetheart, it's all right. We'll do, we'll do whatever we have to do. We'll, we'll just keep it between us. Just keep putting your armor on. Just keep going out. It's not bad yet. Isn't that what we do when we find out our spot? We just keep putting on our armor. We just keep flexing at whatever we're good at, whatever we get celebrated for. Just keep showing that. Keep showing that part of you because I don't want to deal with what's under my armor. So let's just keep showing the good parts, babe. Nobody has to know. The only problem is the walls in Naaman's house were thin. And the servant girl from Israel, this maid, heard, I think, through the walls, the conversation between Naaman and his wife. And while Naaman's wife is in the kitchen, I can see this little lowly maid, this little hired maid who they looked past when she was in the room. This girl spoke up because she knew the power of the God of Israel. And she said, I know it's not my place, and I see the tears, and I wouldn't eavesdropping, I promise, but I know that Naaman has a problem. And I'm telling you, there is a prophet in Israel. His name is Elisha. And if he would humble himself and go to Elisha, I'm telling you, I know the God of Elijah. He's the one that split Red Seas. He's the one that does the miraculous. He's the one that can see impossible situations and flip that thing and get the glory for it. I'm telling you, I know I'm just a maid. I shouldn't be in your business, but I know the power of the God of Israel. And if you would just humble yourself. I know you got the armor, but if you go to the prophet, you'll be healed. Woo! Here's how I know. Here's how I know name is leprosy got bad because he listened. He did it. He did it. He went to go see the prophet in Israel. You know God is working on you. You know God is doing something in your life. When you humble yourself to listen to people that you would have dismissed before. Because sometimes the people that have the answers that you need are not the people in the high position. Sometimes the answer is down at the bottom and we're looking up at the top for the answer. But God said the answer is never at the top. Sometimes you gotta get down and get rid of your pride and look low. Ooh, suffering. Still hits people with status. But another thing I see in this text is that servants always start miracles. Servants always start miracles. If this girl hadn't opened up her mouth, Naaman would have died of leprosy. But because she said something, the miracle started in motion. Many of us miss what God wants to do in our life because we're looking in the wrong place. I've had God speak to me through my kids more than some brilliant preacher that had five PhDs in theology. Sometimes miracles, and more often than not, they start with a person in the low position. Naaman listened, but he didn't go to Elisha first. Because isn't that how we do? He said, well, let me go to the king. Because I mean, not Elisha. 
Let me go to the king of Israel. Homeboy pulls up in a Bentley chariot. Got all these horses, sets of clothes, gold, silver, an official letter, notarized. Can you see him pulling up? Go straight to the king of Israel, the politician, if you will. Said, here's my official letter. I have gold, I'll pay for the healer. And look at what the king of Israel said. The one that had the title, but didn't have the authority. <laughs> the one that had the position, but didn't have power. That's the problem with some people, is you want the title, you ought to have the authority. Elisha wasn't a king, he was just a prophet, but he had the power. He wasn't the king of Israel, but he had the power in Israel. And sometimes you ought to say, God, I don't need the title, but I sure do want your authority. I sure would rather have your power than have the position. If you got the power, God will give you the position. But seek the power, not the position. Seek the authority that comes from God, not the title. Because if you are it, you won't have to announce it. People will just know when you walk in the room. I wish I had some people that would stop being bougie and give God some praise like you're thankful that God is not a respecter of persons, that God will look at somebody that he can trust with the position, but you got to walk in the power before you ever get it. <laughs> he didn't have the title. He had the power. And the one that had the title rips his clothes. Ah! Well, I ain't God. <laughs> what you want me to do about it? <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. You know why some of us, we freak out? It's because there's been a demand placed on our life that we know we don't have the capacity for. I'm the king of Israel. I don't know the God of Israel. Oh, he had the title, not the authority. And freaking out. Thinking this is opposition. You're trying to fight with me. That's what this is. This is a setup. <laughs> you know those paranoid people. And Elisha, cool, calm, and collected, said, calm down. What you see as an opposition, I see as an opportunity. Send them to me. He'll know there's a God and a prophet in Israel. So he leaves the king's house. Same Bentley chariot. Same gold. Same silver and heads off to Elisha's house. Can you see him? Pulling up. You know Elisha lived in the hood. <laughs> you ever seen a car in the neighborhood like, what is that car doing there? <laughs> That's what it is. So here comes Naaman on his high horse, gold armor, pulling up to Elisha's house. Elisha's in his study. Elisha's servant sees through the window. Oh, Elisha! You ain't gonna believe it. You ain't gonna believe it. Elijah's like, what? <laughs> Naaman, Naaman is outside. Elijah's like, who? <laughs> you ever seen somebody freaking out about somebody? You're like, who? <laughs> that, you, that's Naaman, he's outside. He's like, oh, okay. Oh my goodness, I can't even believe it. You do, oh, oh, he got a Bentley chariot. Let me say, hold on, one, two. Four horsepower, there's four horses. You, you gotta come see this, Elijah. This is incredible. Elijah goes, calm down. He's like, we, we, we gotta do something, he's outside. You, you, what, are you gonna go see him? Elisha's gangster, he don't care. No, I'm not. You know who he is, right? Yeah. You know how many followers he is? So, here's what I want you to do. Miracles always start with servants. You go out there and you tell him that if he goes and washes in the Jordan seven times, he'll be healed. I mean, I can do that, but you don't think you should go out there? No, but, I mean, what are you doing, Elisha? I'm trying to finish law and order and you get on my nerves. <laughs> go out there and tell him, go out there and tell him that if he goes washes in the Jordan seven times, he'll be healed. He doesn't even go see him. Elisha's not impressed. He's got the power and knows where his power comes from. So there goes the servant of Elisha to go tell him. And I can see like, don't be asking for a picture with him either. I wasn't. Puts his phone back in his pocket. <laughs> he says, uh, hey, Naaman. Wow, love your chariot. Um, 
spoke with Elisha and he said, uh, you just got to go to the Jordan River. You dip seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman, still on his horse, looked down and said, what? Um, so what he told me to say, just a messenger. Um, go, go to the Jordan River, dip seven times and you'll be healed. Well, where is Elisha? Oh, he's praying. Um, you know, prophets have to seek the Lord. He's in the house praying. And Naaman can see in the house. Pray. He's watching Law and Order. Well, he usually does that before he prays, but um, I'm so sorry. I'm just... And Naaman went off in a rage. Why is he mad? Worship team, join me. Look at what he said. I thought that you would at least come out to see me. I thought that you would come out and wave your hand over the spot of leprosy. Why do I have to go to the Jordan River? Do you know how nasty the Jordan River was? It was the muddiest river. The rivers he mentioned were clear, like water in Fiji. Why, why can't I go to, I thought that you would at least come and see me. Why is Naaman upset? He's upset because of the gap between his expectation and his experience. And whenever there's a gap between what you expected and what you're experiencing, anger is generally the reaction. You know how many people in this room right now are angry, erupting on people or stuffing it in simply because they are experiencing something they weren't expecting. And you're mad at God and you're mad at people because of what you thought. But my question to you is, what if what you thought wasn't what God wanted? Are you going to stay mad because it didn't turn out like you thought? Or will you humble yourself and say, God, I don't know why I'm experiencing what I wasn't expecting, but I'm going to trust that you are God and I am not. And don't let my pride keep me on my high horse. God, I just want to obey. God, I am more committed to being healed than I am committed to the way I want the prescription to be for my healing. So God, don't let me miss what you want to do through me because I'm angry because what I thought is not playing out. Because I'm angry because God, I wrote you a script that you are not fulfilling. I thought you could at least come see me. Don't you know who I am? Don't you see this armor? All underneath, body is falling apart. Sores. Don't you see my horse? I got gold. Don't disrespect me. Elijah, you could have come and seen me. He can already feel the rejection that will come if this leprosy continues. Because that's what happens. People stay away from you when you have leprosy. And it's coming out as rage, but don't look at it. Look underneath it. It is fear. He's so scared he's going to be alone. Went off in a rage. Let's go. I'm fine. He was willing to risk his healing and keep his anger. Are you willing to risk the healing God would bring to your heart? Because you'd rather have your anger and your rage. Are you willing to risk your family? Because you want to keep your anger and rage. You're willing to risk your marriage. Because you want to keep your anger and your rage. You're willing to miss out on the relationship between you and your family and a parent. Because you want to keep the rage. Went off. Said forget it. Thank God for the servants. Another servant speaks up. Remember him with the tiny voice? My father. 
I, uh, I don't want to disrespect your name, but um, I've watched you, Naaman. You've done great things. And if he would ask you to do a great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Naaman, I've watched you fight 50 men with one sword. Naaman, I've watched you when your back was against the wall. Hold up your shield and block arrows and kill men without fear. Naaman, I've watched you climb mountains, put your life on the line for other soldiers. Naaman, you have the medals, you're wearing them. You've done great things. You mean to tell me you can't do this simple thing to go wash? And thank God for that servant speaking up. Servants always start the miracles because Naaman listened and he turns and he goes towards the Jordan because Naaman, the valiant soldier, not only did he not understand that status doesn't stop suffering, he was finding out that miracles always start with servants, but now this strong soldier is realizing that strength is simple obedience. You want to know how strong you are? How quickly can you obey? Your strength is not in the big things you do for God. What good is doing the big thing if the big thing wasn't the thing he told you to do? Strength is not in your accolades and your achievements. It's not in your followers. It's not in your money. It's not in your affluence or your influence. It is in simple obedience. And Naaman rejected it. You know why? Because that's what we do. We want to buy our healing. That's why he's got all the gold. It's what we do with God. We're like, God, no, surely grace can't be that simple. Surely you can't just accept me for who I am. It can't be. So let me, let me, do, let me worship more. Let me, let me pray more. Let me earn your love. Let me have a good track record. Come on, this is what religion does. Religion keeps trying to do what Naaman did. It's trying to buy the grace of God. It's trying through your works and your deeds to get God to give you his favor or his grace. But I'm telling you, grace is a free gift. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You just got to receive it. It is simple. Obedience. You can't earn God's favor or grace. It's a free gift. And so Naaman had to do what I'm asking somebody to do today. It says he went down. God was stripping him of his pride. He thought his issue was his skin and his leprosy. That was the surface. The leprosy wasn't stopping his capacity. The pride in his heart was. Naaman had to get off of his high horse, go down to the muddy waters of the Jordan River. Can you see him? Had to take off all that armor that he took so much pride in. Had to let people see his vulnerability. Had to deal with the, the gasp from the people who didn't realize how bad his leprosy got because he was covering it with his armor. Had to get his feet in the Jordan River. I can see him. I can see him doing what I see so many people do in church where they know God is speaking to them and they get their feet in the water but then they allow the enemy to come into their mind and say, you're going to look so stupid. You can't do this. What are people going to think about you? Name it. Come on, man. You got to show your victory. Go put your armor back on. Elisha doesn't know it. That's so stupid. That's dumb. You really think seven times is going to heal you? Have you ever heard the enemy in your mind saying, don't go down to that church. Oh, all they want is your money. Oh, the church is just corrupt. Oh, and telling you in your mind why you shouldn't go when you know God spoke to you trying to get you to walk away I'm telling you don't do it there's a cost to going off he puts his feet in the Jordan he's got a dip so he keeps going deeper and I think with each step his pride was being shed away gets all the way in dips the first time you know what he did after he did? He looks. No change. 
change. Dips the second time. Looks no change. This is so stupid. I should just go back. Elisha doesn't even know what he's talking about. He said seven. Dips the third time and looks and there's still no change. See, this is a picture of so many people in our generation because we want everything fast that we will not commit to the process. There are some things God's going to do in your life. It will not happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one month. You got to say, God, I am committed to the process, not the outcome. And God, because you said it, I'm just going to obey. Even when I don't even see the reward of my obedience, I got to do what you told me to do. Somebody give us some praise in this place today. Obey. He dips the fourth time. Still no change. He dips the fifth time. Still no change. I think at the fifth time he was ready to walk off and go away. But he dipped the sixth time and looked again and there was still nothing that could substantiate the word that he got from the prophet. And some of you are right there right now. You're on dip number six and the situation hadn't changed. And God told me to tell you, please don't quit. Please don't walk away. Please obey the word that you heard because when he dipped the seventh time and opened up his eyes the Bible says that his skin was made brand new that's the power of obeying what God said would you get up on your feet and give God the best praise that you got simple obedience simple simple Obedience. You want to know how strong you are? How quick can you obey? You want to know where your strength lies? You want to know your capacity? How quick can you obey what God spoke? Even when you don't have the outcome that you wanted. He dipped seven times. Watch this. The Bible says his skin looked like a young boy. It wasn't just healed. It was restored. He didn't just cover up the spots. He was made brand new. Oh God, this is a picture of giving your life to Jesus. How many are thankful that if you obey the simplicity of confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, how many are thankful that he can make you brand new? He can make you brand new. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that washes away all my sins, all my faults. Come on, sin was like leprosy. I was falling apart. But thank you, Jesus, that if I just obey, healed. I gotta hurry. His skin's restored. Just real soft. Hold on. Please don't miss this. He goes to Elijah. Elisha. And he still tries to pay for her. Still tries. He's like, you were right. Elisha's like, imagine that. Still trying to pay for her. said, now I know that the God of Israel is the one true God. The top commander of the enemy of Israel had to testify that the God of Israel was the true God. Naaman asked for some dirt from the earth from where Elisha stayed. Because he said, if I have to go back to my hometown and I encounter a temple or a place where they're worshiping a false god, let me have the dirt from this earth to put on the ground to acknowledge that there is no God like Yahweh. There is no God like the God of Israel. This got me thinking. Wonder how many soldiers in Naaman's command started worshiping the God of Israel. Wonder how many lives were changed through the authority and the position that Naaman had. God's cool with you having position. He just wants to do stuff through you. If the position can't go to your head, he can use the influence. Hold on. Real soft. 
Look at the ramifications of Naaman's healing. It's transforming an enemy army. Wait a minute. Who started the miracle? The servant girl. Did you read that she was a slave girl that was captured? She was captured by the armies of Aram. This girl that initiated the miracle was stripped from her home. Parents likely killed by soldiers who did it from the command of Naaman. And she started the miracle. That girl had every right that night when she heard Naaman was suffering with leprosy. She had every right to say, thanks be unto the God of Israel. God is paying you back for taking me from my home. God is paying you back for what you did. She had every right to go off. She had every right to laugh in Naaman's face as the sores covered his back. She had every right to look at Naaman's wife and say, that's what you get and that's what your husband gets. I've been mopping your floors. I've been cleaning your house. You've been looking past me. You took me from the only home that I knew. That's what you get. She had every right to go off. just go. Oh, God, I feel your presence. If you'll just go, if you'll just go to Israel, you'll be healed. Who does that? Who gives the remedy of healing to their enemy? Who, who has the right to go off and get even? who did no wrong and hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Your Savior had every right to go on. You, you can do it. You can keep it in and remove yourself emotionally. You can stuff it. But I'm just telling you, are you willing to pay that cost? Because there is a high cost to going off. But when you say, God is my judge, God is my defender, I wonder who could be transformed. I wonder if you could look at a co-worker. I'm not saying being doormat. What if you allowed the Holy Spirit to use you to look not at what they're doing, but under it? See the pain underneath the anger, and the person you can't stand could actually be transformed because of the God that you know. I'm telling you, don't go off. You've got too much to lose. God wants in our community for us to have the capacity, the capacity to not just give the remedy to the people that we like and love. Nobody claps for you when you love people that are lovable. That's not impressive if you like your friends. <laughs> Nobody's impressed with you doing a good deed for somebody you care about. Anybody can do that. You ain't got to know Jesus to do that of the cross is to look at even your enemy and give the remedy. You can't do that in your own strength. 
you need him. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I need to know who I came for today in this room or even in the overflow. This is a message you must respond to. If you're here today and be so honest, say, you know what, I've been dealing with anger the wrong way. And today, I, I'm going to humble myself to allow God to use me offer the remedy to an enemy. I believe that God wants to heal people today who've been letting the emotion of anger limit their capacity. God has so much he could do in you and through you. But you've got to control that anger. And you can't do it in your own strength. You need starts with acknowledgement. You can't ignore leprosy. It's only a matter of time. You can't cover it up with your armor. You got to do what Naaman did. You must strip all your pride, all your achievements. You can't stop on the fifth dip. You got to ask God to heal you on the inside. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you tonight, I know this place is full. I just feel like for somebody is so is so desperate that you've got to respond. You need that healing from anger. Somebody's already come. I just want you to get as close to this altar as you can. I know we got a lot of people, but I feel like for somebody, you've got to leave where you are and allow God to deal with that anger that is on the inside. And God said, if I would preach this message healing would come to your heart today that anger that bitterness some of you've been harboring towards somebody who's not even alive some of you've been harboring towards somebody who's not even here in the earth anymore and you're still carrying that and God said would you let me increase your capacity to forgive to love I know you want to go off, but I'm telling you, you got too much to lose. You got too much to lose. Anybody else, I want you to get as close to this altar as you can. Jesus, Jesus. Father, heal hearts today. Oh, God. Don't let our anger and our rage limit our capacity. Father, we need you. We need you. We can't do this on our own. God, we don't want to go off. We don't want to go off and miss the miracle. God, let us be committed more to the healing than we are to the particular prescription that we wanted. would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.